0: Hello everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. The Outdoor Adventure Series celebrates individuals and families, businesses, and organizations that seek out and promote the exploration, stewardship, conservation, access, and enjoyment of the outdoors. Today's episode is sponsored by Papa's Pilar Rum, and we are excited to Have Steve Groth, Papa's Pilar CEO and Chief Strategist, join us on the Outdoor Adventure Series today. Steve has had a distinguished international career with a string of successful ventures to his credit. Uh, Steve possesses the unique ability to identify market gaps along with the strategic vision necessary to attack and exploit these opportunities. Steve founded Papa's Pilar. In conjunction with Ernest Hemingway's estate in 2012, and he has gone on to launch new spirit brands, including the Hemingway Whiskey Company in 2022. Steve, it's a pleasure to have you on the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I have to say, first off, Ernest Hemingway, it brought back shades of being back in school and all those novels that I had to read. And... You also spoke to one of my loves is some good rum, sipping rum, as as I like to call it. And now you've just mentioned the Hemingway Whiskey Company. So next to coffee, I think you're speaking my language here. Exactly. Those are kind of the big three for me as well.
1: Coffee, rum, and whiskey, but generally not at the same time. Maybe in sequence, but uh, not at the same time.
0: I think I'm going to be talking to one of your mixologists uh, on another episode, and I'm anxious to see uh, how uh, he uh, mixes up some uh, spirits with some uh, other uh, foods and beverages and maybe even, I've heard of whiskey and coffee. I don't know about rum and coffee. I haven't tried that one yet. Oh, yeah, it's fabulous. Oh,
1: excellent. Guys are geniuses. That's the. It's nice to surround yourself with people that are way smarter than you. And in my case, that's a pretty
0: low bar, so pretty much everybody's smarter than I am. Well, come on now. Well, you are smart (laughs) enough to get into this business, so. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. For our listeners, if you could just give us a 30,000 foot view, I mean, you've, as you and I were joking beforehand, you, you've had a lot of rodeos that you have written in and this, and I, and if I had to say one thing, I would describe you in some ways as a serial entrepreneur. And so share a little bit about your background and then let's dive into Papas Pilar afterwards.
1: My background is, um, I started off in finance. I, um, I like to say that i a a recovering cpa Uh, i worked for deloitte started their entertainment group and then and then i think my career has never really yeah i like to tell people i think the the common theme in my career is i'm fundamentally unemployable so i don't uh i don't make a good employee so i started with um in the entertainment business and i worked in the live entertainment for a long time and we sold our company to uh my partner and i to live nation and then I uh, I moved to Eastern Europe when the wall fell and uh, moved to Warsaw, Poland and and built out a network of television channels with um, with uh, a guy named Bob Geldof who did Live okay. Aid. Oh uh, yeah. And so Bob and I built that with a couple other partners and then sold it to Viacom and then I moved back to the United States and um, and together with another partner uh, consolidated and and built a network of advertising and marketing companies. We bought 40 marketing companies, advertising, digital, uh, PR, retail, sports, and so on, and built it into about a billion dollar business and sold it to um, a group called Omnicom. And, uh, and so that was my, um, that was my background. And in the, um, in the music business, we owned, you know, 50 nightclubs, did, you know, 20 amphitheaters, did you know, a thousand tours a year, did every major tour. And so that was that piece of it. And then the marketing business, we had 700 clients and, and a lot of them were spirit, beer, soft drink companies. And as I, as I built that and sold it, um, there was, um, I kind of migrated into, um, I, I had this vision of retiring, but, um, but it never stuck. And so I just, uh, I was never really good at it, and my wife didn't like it, so I began to um, to invest and advise different comp uh, different companies in different categories and a couple a partner and i we got into we we, we we financed a number of startups and built a technology accelerator, but we really had a a a an affinity and something deep in our soul about consumer products that were built by craftsmen and and probably because i'm not a craftsman i just love people that can make things particularly sorting out and sifting out the unsung heroes and businesses and so on and and um spirits was a a really cool industry that had a lot of deep stories and particularly dark spirits mm. rum and whiskey and so on there's a there's a it's just a lot of fertile material for people that have a an appreciation for brand and quality and history. And so my partner and I, who is a guy named Alex Boguski, cover of Forbes, the creative mind of the decade, we just geeked out on on the on the dark spirits area. We um so we 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 got into the spirits business, built a company um that could incubate a Incubate Spirits. And so we went through a number of different brands that we looked at and worked on until we found a really, our the first brand we found was, um, we we founded was a brand called Angels Envy Bourbon. And mm. uh, and we found a guy that was a guy named Lincoln Henderson, who was the inaugural member of the Bourbon Hall of Fame. He was retired. He, over, he invented Woodford Reserve, ran all of Brown Foreman's, mastered stilling coaxed him out of retirement, and, uh, and it was a perfect example to take the quintessential craftsman and bring him to the forefront and make him a star. And, him and, his, and so our, uh, my pitch to get him out of retirement was that I would put him in business with his son and his kids and build him a distillery in Kentucky. And so he, um, he decided that he would come out of retirement he was a two-time or three-time cancer survivor at the time but uh, we were able to build a nice brand um in conjunction with him it built a it, it grew was a bit of a runaway train we built a company around it and um eventually sold it to Bacardi okay um, but during that during that um that growth period a friend of mine was friends with the Hemingway family and they saw Angel's envy and um and they asked us if we would be interested in working with them on a project to, um, as a, a philanthropic vehicle to give, uh, give money to literacy and conservation charities. And so okay. that's how this all started. And, and essentially, the, the spirits business for me was a bit of a, of a hobby. It was kind of a really cool, deep brand geek thing that we were really into but we were business guys. We had built business and infrastructure and sales teams and everything. So between the creative and the business side, and then you had the creation genius of, uh, the master distillers, we, we built these spirits brands. And, and as it relates to, um, the Hemingway project, Ernest Hemingway was always somebody that was near and dear to my heart. I'm Mm -hmm. a, I'm a Florida waterman and all my partners and friends are. And so that combined with the the brand geek in me and the deal junkie um was just fun and plus it was fun to just hang out and share stories with Patrick Hemingway Ernest's only living son and so we hit it off and the family hit it off and and um and so we decided to build a brand around that which is the Hemingway um, persona but also find um that hidden craftsman that could bring it to life because we knew we had the creative capabilities of making the brand famous if it was really an authentic and had a reason to live. It had a reason to exist other than just Hemingway's name. And sure. so we wanted to make it an authentic brand that was rooted in our relationship with the family and, and this kind of juxtaposition between this bigger than life personalities and also this really super deep craftsmanship. And so that was kind of, that's kind of the Hemingway persona in a nutshell it's like the reason why hemingway has um has really his his brand has survived for so long was that he he was this contradiction he was Mm -hmm. this giant personality that was out in africa and in paris and everywhere else but then he also would just zero in on this on being really um good at this super technical craft that was much appreciated by the world so we tried to build our brand around things like that, and um, and create a product and a process and a personality that would uh, pay homage to um, to the to the Hemingway man and brand. And so we found a, a gentleman named Ron. Well, I didn't find him; I knew him for a long okay. time. He he was a uh, a legend in the distilling business. Uh, a guy named Ron Call, 40, <laughs> 45 years, fifty years in the business worked at Jim Beam for 20 years, invented most of the brand, the um expressions around Cruz and Ron, ran big distilleries. But he, Ron and himself was a bit of a Hemingway. He's a cattle rancher in the morning uh, and then a master distiller in the afternoon and evening. And and so I sat with him much like I did Lincoln and uh and talked to him about building a brand around Hemingway and uh and how we could incorporate him and his family he's a seventh generation master distiller that goes back to the, the 1700s his family does and um and so between that between the hemingways my family and the call families fa- uh family we thought that there was something really unique in that um in that in that trifecta that we could bring to light and hopefully somebody would uh, appreciate it we certainly We build brands that we like, and then hope somebody else likes them as well. And so, anyway, that was the story of how how, that's my background, and that's the story of how the the Hemingway brands came to life. And as you said, it was it's been uh, eleven years now, right? Right in the in the making, and um, and we really had no timeline. We really we started these brands off with uh, my my capital, my partners' capital. You know, investors have come along along the way. But we really never had our, <clears throat> anyone's hand in our back to do anything. It was more right. about like do what you like, have the culture of the company and the purpose of the company and the products all be something that you can be proud of, okay. and that's really been our <clears throat> our 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 divining rod, our guidepost for building the brand. And um, fortunately, the um, the the luxury high end rum category, the sipping rum category has really exploded over the last five or six years here and in Europe and in Asia. And, uh, and then people and, and our products have been super well-received, super well-awarded. And frankly, even more than that, we've developed a team that is probably, up, up as, as far as all the companies that I've been associated with, is probably the most fun, most talented team I've ever seen, let alone been associated with and i could brag about them because as i said they're smarter and more capable than i am so so it's fun to watch them work and and they're um they're a great their combination of experienced veterans and young energetic people that the sort of the the born digitals that collide with the um the people that the gray hairs like me and so the combination is just is really exciting to watch. And uh, and people seem to like what we're doing. And we certainly love the people that we're working with and our consumers.
0: I love the, the story that you shared. And, and there's so many questions to unpack. And one, that, a couple that are coming to mind, uh, Steve, is the fact that Hemingway family had come to you because they were interested in growing this, the literacy, the conservation. And does that Aspect of their work, your work, this trifecta—is it in in place today as as part of your brand? So that recognition, not just a uh, a wonderful and for our listeners, this is a glass of rub. <laughs> I couldn't do this podcast today without having a uh, a nice glass. It, yeah. is, so is this. Is part of this literacy the conservation? Is it still one of those pillars of uh, of your brand to give back to the community and to help solve some of the problems that are going on locally and and, and around the country?
1: Oh yeah, it's at the uh, epicenter of everything we do. It's um, and so they a lot of times you'll have these. Uh, associations with we'll call it a quote unquote celebrity and it's kind of a licensing agreement where they're really not connected we're 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 partners in this deal and Mm -hmm. and from day one we've worked together to put the money that they derive from our brand together with our money Mm -hmm. to create a, a positive impact on the world and we i go out to montana where many of them live every july um and meet with the family, and we go through it, and then a few times throughout the year uh, we get together. But we're constantly planning on wh- how we're going to spend our money, what we're going to do, where we're going to. What are the things that are near and dear to our hearts? And it was an interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's interesting. It just hit me when I started the brand. I had this kind of geeky idea that every time you sold a bottle, that it was a moment to make an impact, and so I thought that if we could ever sell a million bottles and put a million dollars to work to make a positive impact that would be a plateau and that was my quiet mission that I never told anybody. Oh wow. Except for my son and then I realized during COVID that we had blown by our million bottle mark and we had given 3 million dollars to causes by then that uh we hit my mark and I didn't even recognize it. So now we're on our 5 million uh dollar milestone but but really it is it's at the it's at the epicenter of it we have uh, both on the whiskey side and the rum side we have a um we spend a ton of time and it's because it's in the DNA of our company that's it's mm-hmm. the way we operate we spend one of the things that we spend a lot of time with is um is um water conservation reef restoration coral reef restoration and so on that side, ocean conservation and water conservation and clarity, both fresh and salt water, has been a big deal. We've given hundreds of thousands of dollars to um, to um, causes related to uh, between the the Guy Harvey Foundation to all the reef restoration, most of the reef restoration groups and and the in the Florida Keys uh, and elsewhere to try and solve the. Problems because they solve a lot of problems with the actual ocean clarity and and fish and mm-hmm. plastics and so on and so forth. We do a lot of uh, fisheries management research, and then that's on one side. On the other side, we spend a ton of money on uh, on on um, on veterans and and how to um, help those folks out that have helped us so much, and uh, we're just privileged to be associated with them. But on, on but so that's the kind of the overarching philosophy on uh, on our. our uh, on our conservation and, and philanthropy but then beneath it we we think of our brand as like an old school rock band right where you have to earn your customers one market at a time mm-hmm. and there's no quick way to do it so when we get into communities we spend a lot of time there where we we become part of the fabric of the community so in every community we're in we're all we're we're connected with the with the philanthropic and um and charitable causes that are associated with those communities mm-hmm. and so they know that we can count they can count on us when we're when we're there and so there's probably another hundred different philanthropic um, charitable uh, 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 efforts that we're associated with as well okay. but it's the the long story longer is that everything we do is around around that it's 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 ingrained in our culture
0: okay no i i love it and some of the uh initiatives that you've chatted about and, and introduced the especially around conservation we did a whole series with the national marine sanctuary so i love i love that connection i am curious and some of our listeners are going to ask howard why do you have a, a a rum uh distiller on your podcast and one aspect of uh, the reasoning behind it, one is I, I knew your your PR guy, Clay Abney, he's a member of the Outdoor Writers Association of America, as am I. And one piece has always fascinated me is, you know, I, I, you and I shared, we, we, we have cups of coffee in the morning. I probably have as much as you do. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the afternoon, it's nice to sit back and enjoy a, a, an adult beverage. Now, if we are outside, whether we're hunting, whether we are fishing, inshore, offshore, skiing, we come back from this, or sailing, we come back from this adventure and we sit back and we start to tell stories. Right. And, and that's what really I thought was, was the real connective tissue here is how does this sipping rum and the 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 varieties that you are offering to the community how does that play into the the stories people are telling after their the adventure cuz just being able to sit back and enjoy the sunset in Key West at that that thing right at the very end I can the buoy Mallory Square oh the southernmost point yeah. yeah that and just being able to enjoy a nice sunset and an adult beverage and I I'm curious how this mystique has played into you know, how you are marketing and branding this rum. It's because it's not a rum you go and have a, a fruity cocktail with. No, it was,
1: it was specifically designed to be sort of, a, sort of a portfolio of high-end sipping rums that you could also mix if you like yeah. to kind of to treat yourself. Right. But it wasn't one that you wanted to overpower with, um, with a lot of um, sugar and flavors and so on. You wanted to taste the rum. Right, but the the idea around the yeah the rum and its attachment to uh, to storytelling and adventure, it was almost venture started before the rum. It's it's this is our, me and my partners and I were are all we call them, we call ourselves outdoor dogs and not indoor dogs, right? So mm-hmm. we're the ones that we we try to fish all over the world, where we we hike and hunt and so on and so forth and. And it's and 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 usually the day starts with a as, as we talked about a nice cup of coffee and then once you kind of it's it's the perfect opportunity there are certain like um, um, intersections of your day and your life that lend themselves to these moments and generally there's the there's the the beginning of the day there's the adventure there's the end of the day there's the storytelling and those stories just, you know don't just have to do with that day they have to do with yesterday tomorrow whatever they might be and usually there's as i said there's coffee at one point and then there's a cocktail that kind of lets everybody unwind a bit mm-hmm. and then everybody's tongue gets a little loose and then they start telling <laughs> stories and slapping backs and then that's where that's where the magic happens and so we we internally um, considered ourselves an adventure brand before we ever started this brand, but we never called ourselves an adventure brand because we didn't think anybody knew what an adventure brand was. It was, mm. but we did, and so, so that's where I think all this comes together. And and I I know in my life there's these times on the in the cockpit of the boat um, on the way in from fishing. There's the around the campfire. Those are all these magic moments all over the world. And that's, that's kind of, uh, it's not, it's not hard to, to market yourself using that imagery if you live and breathe that every day.
0: And I, I love it as, as I went off onto the website and, I, and there's definitely a lot of water-based imagery there. Right. And just the, and, and rum is, it's equated with the, the Navy. I mean, this is the, the, what was it? the British Navy had, they had their, uh, you're going to know that whatever the the measurement was, but they had their allotment of rum. It's called a tot. Tot. All right. So I That's learned right. something today. I love this. <laughs> so I have my tot of rum, and I and I just thought it's wonderful to be able to get out there. You have your adventure, and you come back and you share those stories. And how does that fit into? Or actually, a better a better question would be, I mean. Pilar, Ernest Hemingway's boat, how did that get settled on as the part of this brand and this logo and this imagery of outdoor adventure and tying that back to Ernest Hemingway?
1: And yeah, the, the we didn't want to, we always try to make things that have a right to exist, right? that it, they should, there's a reason for them to be. So they're not just following other people. They're not just a face in the crowd and sometimes we they're really successful and other times they just they're failures but mm-hmm. in this case we looked at it and said the we wanted to build a product that was um that was connected to Ernest Hemingway and sort of his wanderlust his mm-hmm. you know him going to different ports of call in africa and the caribbean and all over the world to extract some kind of a engagement some kind of a, a connection and so we didn't really want to build an estate rum that was stagnant, and, and there's plenty of great estate rums. I'm not putting them down. That's sure. from one place at one altitude with one still with one raw material. That there was probably a different way to look at it by by making our own rum, but also sourcing rums from different ports of call throughout mm-hmm. the, the Caribbean and Central America, and then, and so this idea around. This wanderlust around this Caribbean basis in Central America kind of connected us to wh- how Ernest Hemingway connected with with the Pilar and mm-hmm. he used it as his uh, his transport to all these different places and that was where he would enjoy different cultures and so on and extract the best out of those and mm-hmm. so that's how it kind of came together, which was this this vehicle that was that connected the wanderlust of how we how we make our rums and finish them in this very sophisticated way. And also the way Ernest lived his life and his used his, his boat, the, the Pilar, to kind of transport him from different, from different places. And so if you think about the way these things tie together, you have this um, Ernest. Ernest Hemingway who, who goes to all these different places and, and experiences all these different cultures and food and so on and so forth. But then he also c- comes back, and he, and he and then he dives into this incredibly detailed craft of writing and being able to talk about his experience and so on. So, well, we this is a bit geeky, but it's the way we think sure. is that we we source all these realms and and we we find these honey barrels of exactly what we want from different places that have different taste profiles and different raw materials and different altitudes, and then we bring them back and then we go geeky like Ernest Hemingway we we blending these rums into something that's good is like trying to put together a symphony and and then and then we then, then we take these rums blend them and then we finish them in wine and um in whiskey barrels and and sherry casks and in cognac and armagnac to kind of get that perfect solution mm-hmm. and so it, it it's um that was our sort of deep dive. If you wanted to go into the beautiful mind shack with us, mm-hmm. sure. that's what really got us charged. And it was—it uh, wasn't—we made anything up. It was we really like this stuff. And what was really nice is when we went through all this stuff with Patrick Hemingway, Ernest's only living son. He's ninety-five. He's still alive. I went up to had a barbecue with him in July. Oh, wow. And so, but when we first presented it to him, he—we went through a about a three hour presentation on his house in Montana. And he didn't say a word and he, he turned around and he said, this is fabulous. I didn't know half of this stuff about my dad. Can I keep this presentation? <laughs> He's a fabulous guy. He's really, uh, really nice. We, we, as I said, we get together between my family and their family every, you know, every summer and, but it was nice that he saw it and he, and, and it's, it's nice when we build, we make products, um, we start with having conversations with the Hemingway family about what we're thinking. And they almost always add to it and say, Hey, you might think about this because this was what my, my dad would have liked. This is where he went. You might want to do this. And so it's a real legitimate collaboration between us and and the family loves it. And they, a lot of them get involved and show up to events and help with innovation.
0: I, I love that. And you don't often hear this, this, this kind of deep collaboration. Sometimes it's a, we, we we make a note of what their interests are, their ideas, but then somebody goes off and does whatever they want to do. But I really, my sense is, and I'm getting this from you. This is a very close knit collaboration, It's like family. And the the, the third uh, part of the family, your your master distiller, how has their craft and creativity evolved as you are crafting? uh these these premium sipping rums
1: Uh, i'm not sure these uh, as i said when it comes to craftsmen i i get goosebumply because they are they are so good that i think that they i think ron and his family they just let me see a couple pages of the book at a time is Uh what i'm thinking because we go to the they, at our distillery in Key West and then our bigger facility in, uh, central Florida, we have, he's probably got 20 or 30 things going at the same time that he's working on finishes and different types of rums and, and, uh, and so on. And, um, and I'll go there and I, I always, um, I'll go into his lab and, uh, he's a very unassuming guy, but he's, incredible and so is his his son is a master still are well known his other son is a is works for us as well very uh highly regarded spirits influencer Mm -hmm. and um but i'll go in there and he'll go try this and i was like wow that's what is that finished in and he'll and he'll come up with something that it's just like what made you think of that i have no idea he goes i worked on it about 15 years ago and then i had a friend that did this and then he'll put it together and he And uh, I always say that, you know, I always tell people that when you go to Ron's lab, if you stay there for a half an hour, you need an Uber. If you stay there for an hour, you need an ambulance. (laughs) I I love it. I love it. But but the evolution, I think think the evolution came from Ron and his family has probably never worked with a group together that let them do anything that they wanted. Mm -hmm. So it's more about just um, not putting guardrails on their innovation and being able to fail and then fail 10 times and succeed with one, then try it and see if people like it and then, and then grow that and do it again. And Mm -hmm. so, um, but that's, that's kind of the way we are in our entire company. It's, uh, you're allowed to make mistakes as long as they're honest mistakes.
0: I, I love that. And just, you know, you kind of just keep tweaking it. Some little change, you never know what is going to result is because you've taken that one little step. But with my Coaching clients, I call that the 1% rule. How is 1%? Just make 1% effort in something that you're interested in. You never know where you're going to end up.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's um, the one that we, uh, the, the, the very limited edition we did, which was the earnest edition. And uh, it came in almost like a Louis Trey type of bottle and so on. The idea to finish it and not just source the rums and create the rums at the right age, because old doesn't mean better. It's better means better. And it could be, it could be seven years old and better than a 30 year old. So just being able to understand that. And then the timing and combination of how to finish that in cognac and Armagnac barrels to get it perfect. Mm -hmm. And, uh, now I just saw this the other day where on eBay, they're selling these bottles for like $3,000, $4,000 a bottle. And, uh, Ron's, Ron's called me up and said, I should have saved a few for myself. <laughs> there you go.
0: There you go. So I, I'm curious about the the brand itself and how you promote it. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you have distributors and they're out trying to get the bottles into the best restaurants and some of the best pubs throughout the world, but I know you have a You have a facility down in Key West, kind of like a tasting room. Is that, it's a part of the, I believe it's a part of the distillery?
1: Yeah, we have a fully functioning distillery there. Okay. And on one side, there's the outpost, which is where we sell, sell all the gear and have a bunch of other stuff. And then we have what's called the Hemingway Social Club. Okay. And Hemingway Social Club is a fully functioning bar, but it's mostly, it only sells our products and it's so that you can, after you go through the distillery and, and go through the bottling and, ha- and figure out how it's made and learn about all of it and Hemingway, mm-hmm. that you can taste it and buy the product. But yeah, that's it's, it's there. And actually, we just took over some more space down there, so we're expanding.
0: Okay. What do you hear from your friends, acquaintances? You are very much a part of the outdoor community. As you said, you and your friends, you're like the outdoor dogs. You're looking for outdoor adventure. When people come back to you and say, "Hey, Steve, this is pretty good stuff," what are they saying to you about this experience trying these the, the rubs like Papa's Pilar?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Most of these products, they really do. And oh, I, I, don't. I try to, I try to, pardon the pun, try to distill these things down to <laughs> the what makes a brand um, interesting. And it some of it is the product, which is the quality of the product that's in the bottle, the bottle itself mm-hmm. and the pyramid of products, so that people know they they look at it and say, "I know what I'm buying and why mm-hmm. because a lot of the, a lot of companies have like twenty different versions of what they sell, and you don't and and people don't know why what's the difference and why they're buying it and what's different, so they don't buy anything mm-hmm. so so that that the product pyramid is important. The process is really, it's really cool. It's like, why is, how do you make this? Is there attention to detail? Why does the product come out the way it, who's the, who are the people that are making it, what are their credentials and, and do they have the ability to continue to surprise me? Mm-hmm. And then it's the personality, which is what is the culture of the business? Is it, is, are these nice people, are they doing good things for the world? Do they have, are they connected? are there people that I can relate to is the brand somebody that I can relate to and and it's been interesting because of the Hemingway brand and and I think the team that we've put together we it, there seems to be a gravitational pull between the entire community towards a well-made product by our by our the people that I think are geniuses mm-hmm. and uh and the brand and the personality itself so that it's a two-way street we have this like the most influential people in the world that that send us notes and ask for product and uh and um and we're gra- we we're, we have a gravitational pull to what they're all about and they have a gravitational pull to what we're all about mm-hmm. and so it's very authentic and and very a very easy connection we've we've never recruited an influencer ever they've all just been friends that have just said hey i was just with somebody in Key West yesterday and he's a guy that's on the um he ran a, a show on the highway uh on Sirius a guy named Stormy Warren so Stormy's a friend and uh and i i met him at a songwriters convention he's very well known in the music business mm-hmm. and the first thing he said to me was why the hell did you take the chain off the bottle and i said it was an accident all right and so <laughs> <clears throat> and then we put it back on and that's how we started the conversation and now we're just best friends and he's a part of the brand and then all these people in the fishing industry and in the outdoor industry, it was—it's always just been a collection of buddies. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think you might be talking to um, another gentleman that works with us who was, came into our ecosystem as a buddy. He used to run the International Game Fishing Association. Okay, Mike. And so he was kind of the. Uh, the dawn of what I called the aqua mafia, right? The, the, all these guys around the world. And he was like uh, the biggest, our biggest ambassador without us knowing it. Mm-hmm. And then he retired from the international game fishing association. And I said, you got to come and work for work with us and be in charge of our communities and conservation effort. So these things just take a lot on a life of their own. And, uh, and really we just try, to, we try to steer it a little bit, but, and not really, we don't really have that. Militant corporate mandate thing. We just do stuff that feels good and we stay away from stuff that feels icky.
0: I love that because it, 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 in some ways, it does feel like being on a sailboat is sometimes you have to go where the wind takes you. And that's, you don't have to drive hard in one direction. You just, whatever the wind is, you just adjust your sails and, and see where you end up. As you kind but, of look back, it's your career and where you're going with it now, and we didn't talk too much about the Hemingway whiskey, which i it's a it could be a whole other episode for that matter, but where do you see this love affair with brands like this and the good work that you that you, the company is doing with the Hemingway family to to not only provide a great product but also to make a difference in the communities around the world? Where do you see yourself going is this just a labor of love? Are you going to continue with it? Or do you have some other, is there a vision board somewhere in your office there? Well, I have a, my whiteboard, which has a whole
1: bunch of things that my grandkids drew on it. So I won't show it to you, but it's okay. one that I've kept from businesses that I've built over the last 25 years. Yeah, But I don't think we have a, um, a we just try to do better across the board every year. And the thing is, my, I always tell people that if you build a great company that stands for great things, then you're going to have class problems in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Is you're going to have, then you have to decide which way do you take it? Where do you go? How do you expand? And, um, and right now I think my, the mission is the the whiskey was always on the drawing board boards mm-hmm. for us, because I think that, and this is all sort of inside stuff. So don't tell anybody. I no, won't tell talking.
0: anybody oh, to our and, listeners. Lips are sealed folks. So. So there was
1: always this, in my mind, going back 10 to 12 years, there was always this confluence of uh, dark spirits that mm-hmm. rum and whiskey, American whiskey had similar cues and they were adjacent to each other. Mm-hmm. And there's wood and there's depth and there's, there's the dark spirits and there's master distillers and taste profiles can overlap a little bit. We finish most of our, with our uh, rums and whiskey barrels we finish our whiskey and the, the rye that we have now, which, by the way, just got awarded the number one rye in the world by Whiskey Advocate, which is. I love fi-
0: rye. I love rye.
1: Yeah. It was, and that was, we got into it because it had a reason to exist, but it's finished in our rum barrels. Yeah. But there is this migration back and forth. And so that ecosystem of how to advance those products and those categories, that, that I, has just, we've just scratched the surface on that. And, uh, and I think that there's so many cool things that could come out of that in terms of products and markets. And then, and then we're going, our demand for our product in Europe and in Asia is super, super robust. So we'll continue to do that. It's just, but as I said, if you go back to this silly thing that I said to myself about a million moments to make an impact, Mm -hmm. that's at the very epicenter of this is like, how do I keep, how do I work with people? How do we work together with people that we really like? with partners we really like to do cool stuff that other people haven't done and then, and have a purpose, have a reason to exist and, and, uh, and get up and feel good about it. And, and we've been fortunate that, 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 that feeling has allowed us to get, to punch above our weight and get the, some of the most talented people I've ever seen and most pa- and passionate, um, uh, people associated with our business And um, so I'm knocking on something that's wood around me that that there is uh, that continues. But I don't know if there's a there's a grand plan for world domination. But I think internally, what what we try to what I've said is that I'd like to be the world's most inspirational and aspirational, super premium or luxury, dark spirits business. And and really those two inspirational, aspirational are the key words in that. For me, anyway, it's like, I I like what they make. I like who they are. I like what they do. All about everything about it feels feels good. That's that was my. My mission.
0: All right. So, Steve, before we head out um, and and I'm putting you on the spot, uh, but you're a CEO caliber guest, so this ought to be a walk in the park for you. If you had an aha moment, just as you kind of look back in the work you have been doing, and the work you are doing today, that or a piece of advice or book, a quote that really you would love to like share with our listeners, what do you think that might be? You
1: know, I don't think I've ever done anything. I've never done anything for money solely. Okay, and that seems like a very well trodden comment. I just, I haven't. I just, I. It tends the th- ten, the things I tend to get involved with tend to be either super philanthropic or they're or they somehow become somewhat lucrative. But I think do things for the right reasons with and the other one and and money it buys you some freedom. But I've never done anything solely for money or even that wasn't even the the, the pointy end of the sphere. Mm-hmm. And then associate yourself with people that are rooting for you to succeed. Mm -hmm. I don't think people in the, in the, I don't think they, they understand how important that is. Mm -hmm. They have people in their ecosystem, business-wise and personal that you can, they know are not rooting for them to succeed and they should just sort of move away from that and Mm -hmm. get around people that are rooting for success and you're rooting for them to succeed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, that tends to make everything kind of, you know, a lot easier, a lot better, a lot more fun.
0: Okay. No, I, I love that. And uh, as a uh, a coach myself, I, I that's a message I think clients really need to hear because they're struggling, but you want people in, in your corner that are helping you, but you also want to help them to succeed as well. And I think that's a wonderful uh, gift to share. Before we head out now, I, I know you have a LinkedIn presence. Uh, we're going to share uh, the website. So if our listeners would like to learn more about uh Papa's Pilar Rum, we're gonna send them to the website at papaspilar.com. Are you okay if perhaps if there's another podcast or an interviewer heard this episode and they want to reach out to you? What's the is LinkedIn the best way to to do that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we will for the provide... longest
1: time for the longest time I ha- I had a I I built together with two guys from Google and my other partner Alex, I built a technology accelerator and we've yeah. launched like seven hundred businesses. Yeah. And I never had a LinkedIn presence until, I don't know, for about five or six years. And I was just this kind of, this guy that was off the grid. And so when I when I, I put my LinkedIn profile up, they thought it was uh, it was doomsday. But anyway, so yes, that's the easiest way to, to get right. in touch.
0: Well, listen, Steve, we really uh, want to thank you for spending uh, your time. I, as uh, we had also shared at the beginning, it's past five o'clock somewhere and I'm sure you have other things on your uh, on your plate that you want to do today. But really, I uh, hope you enjoyed your time on the podcast and sharing about your passion and about Papa's Pilar Rum and the relationship uh, with your uh, with the Hemingway family and with your master distiller. And it just sounds like a fascinating story. And I have a good reason now to really get down to Key West, because I think that's got to be a fascinating place to visit the so- Hemingway Social Club. Yeah, come on down. We'd love to have you. It's uh, been my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Fantastic. Listen, stay in the line. We're going to do a quick close, and then you and I can have a final chat. Okay? Cool. Sounds good. All right. Okay, folks. We have just been chatting with Steve Groth, Papa Pilar's CEO and Chief Strategist and Founder and CEO of the Mahalo Spirits Group, and the founder of the Hemingway Whiskey Company. What a great story today about uh, the the you know, the history of Papa's Pilar Rum, how this idea came into fruition, and really this focus on not only making a premium uh, dark spirit, but also having uh, the the passion to want to make a difference out in the community uh, through their charitable efforts. Now, we do hope uh, you enjoyed this first of four episodes with Papa's Pilar Rum. We're going to talk about Uh, the distillation process. We're going to talk about uh, recipes using rum, and we're also going to talk about more of the stories, this idea that you're going to come back from this adventure and just sit around the campfire, sit around the kitchen table, the restaurant, wherever that might be, enjoy a a good spirit and just share stories. And that's the piece that really fascinated me, and I'm so uh, grateful that uh, Steve and his team were open to having uh, this little adventure on the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. Now do go out and visit uh, their website at papaspilar.com. We're going to provide a backlink in our show notes and we'll also provide a backlink uh, to Steve's uh, LinkedIn profile. As for us, you can find us on the com. We have our Facebook and LinkedIn pages and we are on all of the major uh, podcast networks. So wherever you get your podcast. Please like, share and comment. We would love to hear from you. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day. And we will see you on a future episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. Take care now. Papa's Pilar Rum, the sponsor of this episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series, is an ultra premium rum brand inspired by one of the world's greatest adventurers, Ernest Hemingway and was crafted to harness the spirit of adventure. Enjoy your next adventure wherever it awaits.